First um, Peter chapter three. We're going to do twelve whole verses tonight. Um, title of the message is "Submit for God," and this is part two. A couple weeks ago, we did part one of submitting for God, um, and so we'll get into that. Let's go ahead and pray first. So, Father God, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for quite literally, Lord, just the privilege um, to be able to preach your word and um, to be able to stand here and to um, hopefully be used by you just on a selfish part on my side. I pray for those that are here this evening, God, that you would just minister to them, minister to their hearts, and again, where they are at in their walk with you. Um, Lord, whether they've walked with you their entire life and um, 40, 50, 60 years, whether they've walked with you for 10 years, whether they're a new believer today, um, or if they're not a believer. Um, God, I, if they're not, I pray that you would just touch their heart tonight um, in something that I would say, Lord, that would be used by you um, to bring them to a relationship with you. Um, for us tonight that, that are here, um, I pray that this area of scripture would be a challenge if it needs to be a challenge, Lord, and that you would even now be working in our hearts to receive it, and then more importantly, to apply um, your word. God, that we just wouldn't sit here and just take it in and, and just gain more knowledge, just to have knowledge in our brains, um, but more importantly, to be doers of the word. And, and that's what we pray for this church, is to be doers of the word and be active in our, our community and um, be active within our households, Lord. So, Father, I pray for us this evening as we are here, that, God, that you would just open our eyes and our hearts to receive from you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So just a quick intro. I know I do this each time, but it's been a couple weeks just to kind of bring you back up. Um, again, a quick recap of where we have been. So you guys know at this point that you were elected, that God chose you. God chose you from the foundation of the earth before he even created everything. He chose you, and, and you were elected. Uh, we have an inheritance we understand our inheritance is our salvation, that we are, again, as we are sitting here, as if we are believers this evening, that we are waiting for that moment, either whether we pass and we go and see Jesus at that point, or we're waiting for him to pull back, you know, the veil and, and to call his church, and, and that's when we will be drawn up, and we're waiting for that moment for salvation. So far, Peter is also, he's challenged us to be holy, and we've talked about that too, of just, of the action of our lives, of the sanctification of God, just challenging us every day to be, again, as he did for the, um, the Jews in the Old Testament, uh, the reason that he set up the, the laws and, and, and where they were at was to show them of where they needed to go to be more holy within their life. As they were going to go in these new communities, as they were going to be around different things, they were going to be seeing different people worshiping different gods and, and living unholy and ungodly lifestyles, that's not what he desired for his people that he had chosen. He wanted them to be different. He wanted them to be holy, and he wanted those around them to be able to see the holiness of his people and how they were so different from everybody else. And then as we look at that as, as Christians today, is the application that is, is Peter's then called us to be holy as well, too, is he's reminding us of the importance for us to live such a manner that the world around us would see the difference, that we're a royal priesthood, that we are the cornerstone of the church, that each one of you has a value within the church because you are the church. It's no longer that we have to go to, a, to, a, to have sacrifices and things like that, that we are the church, that through Christ's blood, that we actually have access to the throne room of God to be able to come into his presence, lay our petitions at his feet, to be able to serve him in a, in a holy manner, and to continue to pray that he would look at those things within our life and correct them and chip them away and remove that sin from our life, whether it be pride, whether it be... Um, fornication, whether it be, you know, anger, whether it be malice or whatever that it might be within your life, that God would continue to, to sanctify you and to, to make you holy. And then also on our side that there has to be a desire then. There has to be a desire that it's not that I'm just saved and I'm just going to kind of go through life and, and do whatever. It's that I desire because I understand the cost of what it was for me to have this gift that I have of salvation. And understand that it was Jesus' blood who died on the cross for me. As Pastor Carl's been talking and as we've been finishing out the, the book of Luke on Sundays and we're getting ready to come to Easter and Good Friday, I mean, this is a, a total culmination of everything of what we have been learning of Jesus' life and now it's coming to the point of the cross and now as we understand what that is of what Christ actually did for us. 
that he lived a sinless life and that he was willing to go to the cross and take the beatings and then to go up on the cross and to bleed and to die, not for his sin, not for anything that he had done, but I believe that while he was on that cross that he was thinking of us. He was thinking of Kevin, of man, Kevin, Kevin's gonna need a savior. And he was gonna need that you were going to need a savior. And as we understand the fact of what Christ was willing to do for us, it's no longer that I have a desire to say, well, I can go and do whatever I want and sin as much as I want, I've been forgiven. No, I understand the cost that was involved in that. And actually the freedom that I have that the world doesn't have is I choose not to do those things. Why? Because I live for a different cause and I live to be holy so that I can be the right representation of the God that I serve. So we talked about the, the Peter's challenge and then two weeks ago we, we mentioned, of, Peter talked about submitting and again, I mentioned last week, the two weeks ago, that's a, that's a word that Americans love to hear is to submit to something. And so again, it's a different under our culture as far as submitting, but he, he asked us to submit to all authority. And I try to do that in such a way as not to be political within the discussion, but just to, for us to understand that we submit to all authority, that God has had a hand in placing whomever is in authority above us, whether it be police people, whether it be your parents, whether it be, um, it be the, off, you know, the, the, the president, whether it be a senator, whoever that has been placed there, God knows that. And God has had a part of that. And God has reminded us that we're to submit to all authority. Again, I reminded you last two weeks ago, it wasn't if you were called to do something that was unbiblical, you know, something that goes against contrary to what God's word is. But if it's not, you just smile and yes, sir, no, sir, and, and move on. It also talked about slaves being, for their masters, as slaves today would be workers and your, your master would be your boss, and, and to submit to them. Again, not to do unholy things, not to do lying and cheating and stealing and things like that, but to be a good worker. And I reminded us that of all the workers within the world, Christians should be the best worker that they have. They should be like, they should look at the application, oh, you're a Christian? Man, I'm gonna hire this person. Why? Because they're gonna be the best worker that I have. You're gonna show up a little bit early, you're going to stay a little bit late if you need to. You're going to be punctual on your, your lunch breaks. I reminded too that, again, that they're not paying you to be witnessing on their time. If you're going to witness, you witness at your lunch break. You witness after work. You ask them to come to church. You go meet them at Starbucks afterwards. But somebody who's paying you to work is paying you to work. And out of respect for your boss, you're going to do that. One thing that I didn't mention last week is in the responsibility for the boss then to treat their workers in such a manner as well, too. If you're a Christian owner or you're a Christian boss within the room, that you then should love the worker that you have and be responsible to that person and treat them the way that as a Christian and a godly man should be treating them or a godly woman. Christ is our example also of, of what submission is. And we spoke of that at the end, and Peter uses the ultimate example of what submitting is. And, and you know, Christ, again, when he was on the cross, when they hurled, verse 23 of chapter 2, it says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself, he entrusted his soul to God, his Father, and said that I'm going to do this. Why? Because I've asked you if there's any other way, but this is the, the way that we have decided to be able to offer sacrifice for those that are going to need it, and he is our redeemer at that point. So this week, we'll continue on with two more areas of submission. Tonight, we'll talk about marriage. So if you're single and you're here and you're like, marriage, like, I don't want to hear about this, but, so, but it's good. And I remember the times when I was single um, and I would listen to conversations on marriage because I wanted to be prepared. And so if you're here this evening and you're single and you're like, well, I can check out for the first half hour or so, I, I ask you, please don't. This is valuable information for you just as much as it is for those that are married that's within the room as well, too. So tonight we'll talk about marriage. So Warren Rearsby said that we have more readily available information about sex and marriage than ever before, yet we have more marital problems and divorce. And he probably wrote that 30 or 40 years ago at that time. 30 or 40 years ago, I think we probably have 10 times as much information on marriage than we did then, and we have as much problem as we had at that point as well. This is particularly sad for Christine and I as over the last several years, we've had several Christian, solid Christian friends who have now gotten divorced. They got married just about the same time as we did and there's excitement and there's, you know, 
you're sharing a moment with another couple that you've served with, that you're, that you're with, and then you're unfortunately on Facebook and you no longer see the other person's picture. And then that person is now no longer married on Facebook. There's people that we know that we've talked to as well too, and, and just the separation has happened and it becomes personal with that moment where you're just, you, you realize just the value that it is and how fragile that it is as well too. And so tonight, as we talk about it, the numbers for divorce, I thought it was, and probably some of you guys think it was 50-50 as far as marriage right now. Actually, the numbers for divorce outside the church is around 40 to 50%. The numbers in the church for active church members is actually around 30%, which is better than what I thought that it was at the beginning. But those are for active church members. And so somebody that's actually going to church and they're, they're reading their Bible and they're trying to continue to walk this walk. And as I mentioned before, being living a life that's holy, you're trying to do the right things, you're showing up and you, you're all that, but, but still there's 30% who are not able to continue to stay married. If you're here tonight and you fall into the category where maybe you have been divorced, I, I want you to know ahead of time, I'm not throwing a stone at you this evening. I'm not looking at you any different. I'm not bringing shame upon you. I believe in a God of grace and a God of restoration. For those of us who are married, my question is, how are you doing? How are you ensuring that you're not slipping into in your marriage to a point where it's not going to be continuing to be a marriage? Christine, my wife, she's a teacher at Sarasota High. She's not here tonight because she has to do her blessing plans for tomorrow. Um, she teaches uh, freshmen, basically, uh, on how to be good citizens within um, society is what they joked about. It's on career choices. It's on how to you know, get to college. And as freshmen, they're trying to get them to start thinking about where they're going as you have the next three years of, of high school. Like, what are your plans? Like, if you're trying to do this, how are you going to get there? And so they're trying to help them to make decisions on, okay, this is your goal of where you want to be. So how is it that you're going to get to that goal? And what are the things that you're going to do to get there? They talk about the, the people that you're around, the people that you're friends with. And they even recently they had um, one of her questions was, is, is for you to write down your favorite song, crossing out the bad words so she didn't have to see them. So write, write your favorite song down and then explain why this, is, why this song speaks to you. And again, helping them to understand if they, if they, maybe if they write it down and they look at it, trying to understand, okay, if I want to be, you know, whatever, a, a, a teacher or a, you know, YouTuber or a, um, an astronaut or whatever, how is the things that I'm doing and the influences that I'm allowing within my life, whether it be a song, whether it be a friend that continues to get suspended, whether it be people that I hang around outside of school, whether it's the fact that I'm getting suspended or whether it's the things that I'm allowing to go into my system that shouldn't be in there, as she has them take a look at these things, how are these things going to help you to accomplish the goal that you said that you want to be? She also has them go to adults and say, hey, what did you want to be when you grew up? And why were you not able to do that? And it's enlightening to them to see that all of us had dreams at one time. All of us wanted to be something else, and now reality has hit, and life has moved around, and some of us were able to hit those goals, some of us weren't able to. Some of us have had different goals that were even much better than what we thought that we could have. But it's a point of, now for us as married people, what are the influences that you've allowed within your own life? What are the relationships that you have that you've allowed that maybe have come with inside that your, your relationship of, of somebody else that's preventing you from having a great relationship with your wife or your husband? What are the things that you're watching on TV or, TV or that you're listening to on the radio that have prevented you from being able to have that true relationship with your spouse? Well, that would be a question that you guys would have to answer. What are the things that you're allowing to come within your own brain to be able to allow you to be fully committed to the person that the Lord has brought into your life. Verse one and two, it starts off, as says, wives, in the same way, and in the same way here is, is talking back to chapter, into chapter two, he's talking about Christ. So wives, in the same way that Jesus submitted, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that in, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So wives, there's three things that I see here for you guys. It starts off with, it says, in the same way, and again, it's who is Christ. It's, again, finishing out chapter two is, is how he submitted perfectly to the Father's will, and, and it's a strong word there, submit. 
The word that Paul uses, or Peter uses here for us this evening for the ladies is it's a very strong word. It's for you guys, it's to submit to one's control. It's, it's to, to be able to submit to the control of what your husband has asked. Well, again, culture time, if you go back to that time, it was very traditional at that time and very important that the husband of the house at that time, whatever religion that they believed in, that was expected that the wife would be, the, would be under the same religion as he did. So if he worshiped false gods and pagans and all that, it was expected that she would too. Otherwise, there would be a scandal that she wasn't submitting underneath her husband. And so as Peter's talking to this, this church, and if you have now a wife who has become a believer in Christ, you can see that automatically there's gonna be some conflict within the house. There's gonna be some division that's gonna happen there. And what Peter's saying is, listen, I'm asking you to submit to your husband, to be under his authority and understanding, not to, not to throw it in his face that you've made a decision of something else, to still come to him and ask him what are the things that he has and be able to work with him. It's a very male-driven society at that time, and as we have moved into a different culture as time that we have now too, you see women working more, and there's more relationships that happen within men and women. Not, not anything like we saw even in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Things have just continued to change within our society, and that's a good thing, I think. But it's, again, it's just different of the culture as you look at it to where we see that today, and we think sometimes we read Peter and Paul and what they write as far as submission and you're like, well, they just they didn't like women. They were just so anti-women and anti-women's rights. And, and if you look at it, actually, they were probably, Jesus and Paul and Peter probably did more for women's movement than anybody in history. They actually enforced the fact that women had value and that there was importance there. And as a man, and we'll get to the men here in a second too, that, that there was a responsibility that a man had to his wife and that she wasn't property and that you weren't supposed to treat her in that way. But unfortunately, at this point, as we look at it in our own eyes and we look back at that time, well, we just have a different tinge and a different view on it. We take it in a different way. Paul speaks of this as, as well in Ephesians 5, 22. Many of you know this scripture already. It says, wives, submit, same word here as, as Peter uses, to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So some of you are thinking, Kevin, you don't know my husband, though, okay? And, but I'll tell you this, I'm a guy, so I probably know your husband is difficult to live with at times, okay? As wonderful as I am, and you guys think that I am, I'm sure, but um, Christine probably could tell you a few stories of just the difficulty that it is to live with Kevin, Okay? And that's fine, I understand that. But what Christ has asked you to do is it's not reciprocal as far as, well, he's got to do this and that way I will do this. The Lord says, I want you to submit to your husband. And again, it's not a point of that you have less value than your husband. It's not that you're not as smart as your husband. I've joked around this anytime that I've taught this as well too. Like Christine is much smarter in our household if you know her. She has her master's. She does all these other wonderful things that that I couldn't even think about doing. I mean, the brains of the organization is definitely Christine, but there has to be an authority of, as far as one person finally needs to make the call. And so it's more of a military decision as far as, as, far as this is that there's a, a ruler that's here that we just have to have one person making the decision. And the way that God has designed it, he said, look, I, I want the man to do this and I want him to make that decision. For clarification, it's, it's not a, a Lord over but it's a level of authority. So again, if, if you're looking at it as that he's lording over me, or if you're a guy and you're looking that you're lording over her, you're, you're taking that incorrectly. It's each equally important, but somebody has to make the call. Somebody has to make the call. So why do we do this? Well, it says it so, so that if any of them, the husbands, do not believe the word, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. The second thing that I see here is that they would come to believe Christ. So ultimately, again, as we live our lives, what is our goal for life? Is to honor God in everything that we do. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to glorify him. So as, as, a, as a Christian woman who's married, you're going to do this. And if your husband is not a believer, just the fact of how you live your life is going to be a witness to your husband. It says your actions become the witness that the Holy Spirit uses to bring them to Christ. So just the fact of how you're going to live your life and how you're going to honor the Lord and how you're going to honor your husband, and all of a sudden it's going to be like, man, she's just, just incredible, the things that she's doing for me. I mean, 
Like I came home and I was a jerk to her when I came home today and yet she's still loving me and she's still caring for me and she's still watching over me and she's still like, like what, is, what is it about you that is different? And it's just the Holy Spirit that's working in through you and, and what you're doing is you're being used by the Holy Spirit to, to woo this person to Christ. And just the mere actions of how you live your life will continue to do that and that's the witness that's gonna bring your husband to know him. And the word here, purity, is, it's, it's, it is pure, but it's innocent. James uses the same word in James 3.17. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. But the important part is this. If you, if you look at the, the timing of this, is, is when James writes it, it says, first of all is pure. Just the pure innocence of a wonderful Christian life is more important than as, as you continue on, then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good for fruit and partiality. Do you understand that the pureness of how you live your life? And sometimes we make fun of Christians or we make fun of people just because of the innocence that they have within their life, and, and that's wrong because they don't understand a, a, a joke that they shouldn't understand that we're laughing at that's inappropriate. Oh, they're just so pure and they're so, yeah, they're pure and innocent. That's, that's just terrible that they are that person. It shouldn't be the desire of all of us to have just that pure and innocent understanding of the way that life should be lived. Women, can you do that? Can you, can you have that same feeling towards your husband? Again, I, I know that it's difficult, and I don't know personally that it's difficult, but again, I, I'm a guy, and I've been around guys, and I've heard you know, terrible guy conversations, and, and so I understand some of the stuff that would happen. I understand that it is difficult if you're going through that relationship. But again, the, the reason that we do these things is not because that part, he is worthy of it. We do it because God is worthy of it. We do it because Jesus is worthy of it. And as we pour out our hearts to try to continue to be holy in everything that we do, there are times in our life where it is difficult. Whether it's a bad boss or a strong husband, a bad government, or wherever that you're looking at, the calling isn't if they're worthy of it. The calling is, again, it's because God is worthy of it. And you will not be able to do this on your own. You're gonna have to pray. You're gonna have to have the Lord come alongside of you and to continue to give you the words and continue to give you the grace and the mercy that that, that, that person maybe doesn't deserve right now. But again, as you have loved them and you do love them, you ultimately want them to be saved and you want them to know who Christ is. Amen? He moves on in verse three and says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their husbands and, and like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. I've, I've tried to install that in our house. It hasn't really worked yet, but we're just crossing our fingers now. Um, your daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. The third thing I see here for, for women is, is inner beauty. And if you know anything about Sarah and the, if you've read the Old Testament, Abraham's wife, is she had to be attractive. She's like 90 years old at the time and, and all these people are trying to grab her to be their personal, you know, their wives and Abraham's trying to hush her and, and keep her quiet. But she's 90 at the time, so she's gotta be a looker of some degree, Okay. But that Peter refers to her inner beauty is more important, is it not? So I don't know how much his money is spent each year on, on beauty products. I didn't take the time to look that up. I'm sure it's billions of dollars. And, uh, and I think my wife is beautiful, and I appreciate when she takes the time to, to get dressed up and to do that. And we go out, it's, it's, it's one, and I appreciate it. She's wonderful. But there's nothing more beautiful than when she is attentive to me and I see her interacting in her gentle spirit towards others, and she's ministering. See, it's the inner beauty of Christine that I, I appreciate, not just the fact of that she's able to put makeup on and she's able to, to put a nice dress on and things like that. It's, it's the inner beauty of somebody that just makes them so attractive to somebody else. See, outside beauty is going to fade. We all know that. 
but you control the beauty that you have inside. See, gravity is going to take over and, and life is going to take over and we've had hard times and I used to have hair at one point and I used to weigh 30 pounds less at one point and all those kinds of things, all right? So I can't control that. I guess I could control some of it. I could lose weight and I could go and get Rogaine or something for my hair. I don't know, but <clears throat> I'm not that vain to do that and I don't want to add numbers to the beauty that people spend each year, but, but the fact of what I do control that costs me nothing is the things that I do with inside my heart. And you, Christian woman, can you control that immensely. And, and listen, I, I can't tell you how important that is within the church because, you know, when I, when I see women with, with their kids and the, just the way that their kids respond to their, their moms and I, I see the way that other ladies are able to, to interact with each other and just the caring that you have for each other and to be able to sit there and to pray with somebody and to cry with somebody and to hug somebody when it's needed and just the fact of those things are so wonderful and so beautiful and they cost nothing. But it's all the inner beauty that's inside and that is what is beautiful. That is what is important. And so when Peter is saying this, is that your beauty should not come from outward adornment. He's not saying that you can't get dressed up and wear nice things and put jewelry on and things like that. He's saying the focus shouldn't be on that. The focus should be on what you control. And as you draw closer to the Lord and as he continues to, to move within your heart and he continues to soften your heart and he continues to just open your eyes and your ears to other people and you just, you see people the way that you've never seen them before and you just, you want to reach out and you want to take the time to be able to pray and to be able to, to look over for somebody and to help people, that is what a beautiful Christian woman is like. And then there's nothing more beautiful than to, at the same time, to be able to look at older women than being able to pour into the younger women and, and helping them through the hard times. And I've said this before, is, is, you know, it's, it's older women having an understanding what these young moms are going through when they've got two or three little kids and, and they haven't slept in you know, four or five days and you know, they just barely have made it to church at this point. And, and how wonderful it is for a, another woman to be able to come alongside her and say, hey, dude, can I help you with your children right now? She knows how it feels. She's just tired and she just needs a hand. And being able to check on her through the week, those are the things that as you look at the church, those are the beautiful things. And again, those are things that cost nothing. And as you do the same thing then for your husband, and again, her Lord, that's a cultural thing that wouldn't happen today, obviously, it would be different. But the encouragement as you understand that is, is that she's just looking at him and Husband, how can I help you today? I know you've been beaten up by the world and you've been beaten up by the things that are going on. And again, how can I submit and how can I help you and our family to make this work better? I come to you. How can I do this? Those are beautiful moments. Those are beautiful moments of just a husband and a wife getting together and just talking things out and, and you just listening to what his needs are at the moment and, and being that one person that he actually can talk to. You know, I don't know if you know this, or guys don't really talk a lot to each other, and, and we're usually fine with that as well, too. I mean, we can watch a game and say, yay, you know, and be, let's, like, good. You know, like, we've, how's everything with him? He's, he's good, you know. We, you guys talk? Yeah, we cheered, you know. It's, it's fine, you know. But to have that woman in his life, his best friend, and the one that he always knows has got his back, to be able to have that person in his life, that inner beauty and being able to take the time, that is what is important. So women are like, hey, is there any guys part of this? So verse seven, it says, husbands, in the same way, in the same way as what again? It goes back to Christ of him submitting. So again, husbands, are you willing to do this in that same way of considering others first? In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And so all the wives are happy now that we are on to the men, and it's like, ah, Kevin, get them. And you'll notice there's only one verse for guys. <laughs> we are just that good. We just needed one verse. And that is not in my notes, so. Actually, what I was thinking ahead of time is that it's one verse because guys probably would have checked out after the second or third verse, like, did he say something else? I don't know what he talked about, you know? So one verse, and as I, again, I see, I see a couple things here for us as well too. Guys, are you ready? 
Men have requirements in marriage as well. I don't know if you know that. The first is to be considerate as you live with your wives. I think a better way of of hearing this, I've heard this before, is is to know your wives. And this isn't like in an Old Testament way as far as, you know, a sexual relationship as far as knowing your wife. This is, do you know your wife? You should know your wife better than anybody on the entire planet. That, That should be your desire. That should be the truth. I mean, you should study your wife and you should know the things that she needs and you should know exactly where she's at. You should know her better than her mom does. You should know her better than her dad does, than her sister does, than her BFF does. I mean, that's, that's the level of the intimacy that you should have with your wife, that you know, what, you know what makes her happy, you know what makes her sad, you know what's gonna make her cry before she even cries. You probably already know what makes her mad. You should know when she needs a hug. You should know when she needs someone just to sit with her and not say anything. Again, as you, as you have lived with your wife and if you studied your wife and as you've continued to pour into your wife, those are now the things of the responsibility on you that you need to be able to look at your wife and to really just take in the gift that God has given you. And that means when others may be laughing at a joke or something like that and she doesn't quite get it, that you come alongside of her. When something happens to a friend of hers that's far away, that you're willing to sit there and have conversation with her. That when she's crying and, and guys, we wanna fix something immediately, like if something's broke, let me just fix it so we can like move on to know that you need to turn that part of your body off and just sit and allow her just to have the time that she needs to have to be able to work through whatever she needs to work through. Guys, do you know your wife like that? Have you taken the time to be able to sit back and and to look at her and take in the value of what God has actually given you? And as she has done these things for you over here, am am I willing to like really pour into and study my wife? It's gonna take effort. It's gonna take a lot of effort. But again, is she worth the effort to be able to know who your wife is? Part two is, is to, is, number two is to treat her with respect. It says, in the same way, be considered as, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And this is to be, is, is to be a, a considered, it's a valued worth, okay? Again, going back to the culture that they have, women didn't have the valued worth. You know, at that time, they were just kind of like a piece of property. They were just kind of a, a means to an end, uh, somebody to take care of the house and things like that. And, and, and what Peter's actually saying is that, no, that's, that's contrary to what I'm saying. What God has said is, no, that should, should be considered a valued worth. Christian husband, tonight, if, if I were to ask your wife if she felt a considered value worth, which, how would she answer? Does, does your wife feel like you value the worth of who she is? not going to do a raise of hands or anything like that, but I think this is a great question for you guys to have tonight or in the next couple days of, honey, honey, how, how am I doing? I mean, do you, do you feel when you have those needs emotionally, am I actually there? And, and again, don't expect perfection. I mean, guys, again, it's, it's something that we have to learn as well too, ladies, that there are times where we, we just, we just, we're just not kind of built that way at times. And it's something that we have to learn and we have to, you have to kind of give us some grace to get to that point. But guys, tonight, are you doing that? Well, Kevin, she's not, you know, she's not calling me Lord when I come in the house and she's not doing these things. And why do I have, it's it's not, again, it's not reciprocal. Peter didn't say, hey, because she does this, you get to do this. He just says, consider your your wife a valued worth. Husband, are are you going to do that? Going back to Ephesians 5, verse 25 this time, this is Paul speaking again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or, or any other blemish but holy and blameless. And this is not a physical death, but, but you, you should be willing to do that for her, obviously, the, the physical part of it. But, but as Pastor Carl says, are you willing to put your dreams and your desires behind 
to make sure that your wants and needs and everything that God wants to your wife to be, are you willing to put those things that you want in your life to put her first before you? Are you willing to consider your wife that much that you're like, you know, I really wanna do this and I wanna have this muscle car and I wanna do this over here and I wanna have this over here, but, but are you able to sit back? Nothing wrong with muscle cars, by the way. Is that nothing? <laughs> I'm a car guy. So nothing wrong with that. But, but is your wife being able to experience all that God has desired her to be? And has that then been the focus of your life to be able to put her first? Yes, Peter says that she's the weaker partner and, and yes, physically she is the weaker partner for, for most of us, if not all, but even more the reason for you to be the provider and for you to be the protector of her and that you're gonna watch over her and, and, and supply the needs, not just financial needs, but there's so much more need within the house than just you bringing home a paycheck. And then as the two have become one, you guys are heirs of a life of grace. So as the two of you guys come together and you, you really start working on this together and as you start ministering together and to each other, then you start becoming in the heirs of grace of what God has called for your marriage to be, all that could possibly be. And it doesn't always mean that you're gonna have this wonderful ministry and you're gonna start a, a couple's ministry over here or we're gonna do that over here, but there is just something to be said about having heirs of grace, of just having grace within a household, okay? And being good moms and good dads and being a good husband and a good wife to be a, a witness to those that are around you. And then if God should desire you to be able to be used elsewhere, then that's great. But Tony Evans a long time ago said, you wanna change the world where it starts within your house because then what happens in your house can, can affect your neighborhood, which can affect your community, can affect your city, can affect your state, your country, and then the world. But everything starts within your house. You can't worry about the world or the state or what's going on if your house is not being taken care of and not being protected and not being poured into. Part three is number three. It says, finally, your prayer life, so that nothing hinders your prayer life, Another question for you guys is, is how is your devotion life? How is your, how is your prayer life? This is one that I, if you've ever been in a Bible study with me, if you've probably heard me the last several weeks, is again, I, I sincerely, I, I can't make you do it, but I really encourage you to be in your word every single day. I mean, especially men. I mean, you can, just a second ago, Paul asked you to, you know, to bathe your wife in the word of God, if you don't have the word of God in me, then what am I bathing her in? If I have nothing as the, as the spiritual leader within my house, if I am not in the word of God, you know, over years, I've, I've just noticed that whenever my time was off as far as, you know, being in, you know, just too tired, I'm, I'm hitting snooze, I'm not waking up in the morning, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing my devotions, oh, I'll catch up tonight, and I don't get up tonight because the lightning is on or the football game's on, and oh, I don't have time to do it tonight, I'll do it tomorrow. And then again, then it turns into two weeks. I've noticed that whenever my quiet time is off, my wife's quiet time is way off. It just, it's just off. Now she's sleeping in, she's hitting snooze. But, but when the two of us are just, we're, we're just guided to be able to, hey, I'm getting up at 5.15 tomorrow morning, and, and we're, we're, some of you are like, 5.15? Like, yeah, you know, like, I told you a couple weeks ago, Jesus is gonna meet me at breakfast at six, so I gotta be ready, right? So, so 5.15 in the morning, we're, we're getting up. Why? Because I, I need my time with the Lord. And again, my time with the Lord isn't so that I, I then able to, to look over at Christine and go, hey, did you, uh, you read this today? Like, I'm just making sure you're, no, it's not that at all. God's got to speak to me and God's got to speak to my heart and he's got to be able to change what's going on inside of Kevin because Kevin is still selfish. Kevin still has his own desires. Kevin still gets frustrated and angry. And, and so the Lord has got to work on me first. And so as the Lord continues to work inside me and change me, now that that then pours out into my wife and pours out into our children, because now as we become heirs of grace and, and now our prayers are not hindered, why? Because things are working properly within our house and this is how God has designed. God didn't design all the other things that you see on TV and, and you know, I don't wanna even get into it, but all the different perversions of what marriage are today and what the perversions are as far as relationships are today, it has nothing to do with that. God designed it this way on purpose. Why? Because we're a representation of when, when Christ comes back for the church, we are the bride. And it's the representation of that is as we continue to be heirs of grace and we continue to live a life in such a way that we are the representation to the world 
of what true Christian life is about. So men, is your wife worth it? I will always be harder on the men in the church because I'm a guy and I know how we think, but I really think as, as the church goes how the men in the church are. If we have strong men within this church, the women are gonna be strong. They have women's Bible studies. They get together. They're in the word. They're praying for each other. Men, are, are you going to do that? Are you gonna rise up and take your household back to be like, hey, there's a responsibility here and, and I'm gonna take the mantle and I want to be that man that my wife desires me to be. And, and, and the amazing thing is I've never had a, a, a woman come for, a man and woman come for counseling or anything like that, that, you know, this guy, he's up in every morning at 5.15, he's praying and he's reading his word of God and he's just, he's loving on me and he's providing for me and he's just so stinking nice all the time. I just can't stand him anymore. I can't submit to somebody like that. I mean, I need somebody just to yell at me. I, no, it doesn't happen that way. Men, if, if you're truly in bathing her and loving her as Christ loves the church, as Christ went to the cross for us, are you willing to do that for your wife? Trust me, the rest will work out. And women, you look at it and go, well, yeah, I, I, would, I would love to submit to somebody like that. Somebody who loves me and cares for me and, and we're gonna work as a team and we're going to go and then do all these wonderful things for the world just because of that? Well, yeah, I, I would love to do that. Men, are you willing to do that? Peter moves on. He says to submit to each other. This is the fourth submit that we have. Submit to each other. Verse 80 moves on. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And finally, Paul's kind of, Peter's wrapping up here. I said before I was going to say Paul a lot of times. Peter, again, wrapping it up here, says, finally, all of you. He just says, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to cast a, a, a net over everybody at this point, and just everybody listen to me. This is what I want. This is what the Lord wants from us. He wants all of us to be like-minded, which is unity of the spirit. And it's, it's, it's not that we have the same exact spirit, okay, but we have a unity of spirit. Beautiful thing, thing about the church is that we are all completely different. I mean, if you look around this room, there's not hardly anybody that looks like the other one outside of Christ, probably none of us would be in the same room with each other because we just maybe don't have a lot in, in common with each other. But th th those are beautiful things though, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful that we all have different personalities and we have different desires and we have different wants and dreams and things? I mean, so God takes this whole group of people and he brings us together and it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have different thoughts. And as we come together and then just the unity of, of God that brings us together and as we just share in that, he says, be like-minded. Don't allow those things to be divisions within the church, but actually bring, make it, makes us stronger. We as a church then, if we have the unity and, and with all these different personalities and, and, and things that we do, it makes us stronger because then we're able to then go out in the world and reach even more people. If we were all just bikers in here, all we could reach out to is bikers. Steve would be happy, but the rest of us would be like, I don't want to ride a bike anymore. Like, I just want to, can we find something else? Can we find a football ministry or or a food ministry or something like that, you know? But no, it brings us all together so we have all this unity within the church so then we go out and we reach even more people. He says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, is to have compassion for one another. Romans 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I'd say we, I've been here for almost three years at this point. Um, it's, this church does a wonderful job of just being there for others, of being sympathetic and being willing to, to be there when, when people have needs. You're on the prayer, prayer board all the time and you just see the different needs that come in and, and just the opportunities to pray for each other and, and seeing somebody at church and, hey, how are things going and just following up with them. And it's, it's, it's just wonderful to see that the community within this church that just loves each other. Peter goes on and says, love one another. King James Version, it says, love as brethren. And I love that. Love is brethren. First Peter 1.22, it said, back in chapter one, it says, love one another deeply from the heart. We talked about that. Are, are you willing to love others deeply? Are you willing to take that chance? Romans 12.10, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. See, when you love somebody else, it, it means that you're, you're considering them more than yourself. 
that you're willing to put your needs or your wants and your desires. And I'll be honest, there's times I have a hard time with that because I'm like, I really want to do this today, but I know I need to go and, and help this person go and do this. And the struggle there is one, my flesh and my own sin, but the other one is that I just care for the other person and I love them and I, and I want to go and help them to do that. Are we willing to have the, the, to love one another and to consider others before ourselves? He moves on and says to be compassionate. It's to be tenderhearted, but, but more than that, it's, it's like to have that compassion that, you know, from, from your bowels, from your insides, where it just kind of hurts at times that you just, you know, you just have those feelings for something and it's just, it's inside of you. You care so much that it just, you just feel it deep inside of you. Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. To be compassionate. It, so many times we want to hold on to those, those things that have, people have hurt us before and, and we want to just, just, just grasp and we just want to just live in that anger and that, that frustration and not allow that to move on. Ephesians says to, to be compassionate to one another and forgiving each other. Are you going to just carry that, that anger and that frustration around forever? Or are you going to, does that person wronged me so therefore I'm going to go back and get them for this? Or No, just, just, just move on. Are you willing to be compassionate and humble? Be humble, friendly and kind, and, and we could use a whole lot of that today. Use a whole lot of just humbleness and people being kind and friendly to each other and not arguing over things that are just, in the grand scheme of eternity, just don't matter. We get so frustrated and caught up into things nowadays, and just, just be humble and be willing to back out of a, a disagreement or, and just move on. If it doesn't matter, then, then why are we fighting over stuff? Be willing to back out and show the humbleness that we've been asked to show. Verse 9, it says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So do not resort to your flesh or for your old self that you may have had, it's a reminder these churches are under persecution and it would be very tempting for them to act up and rise out. So again, as they've, they've been under attack because of their faith in, in Christ, you know, in these, these, these churches that we've talked about that's in kind of modern day Turkey, that they've just been persecuted and it would be very easy for them to then, you know, that, well, my boss did this to me because I'm a Christian and I'm just gonna react, react and repay him back and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna spit in a soup or something like that or whatever that it is that happens. We don't resort in that. Don't, don't just give them something and, and repay evil with evil because, again, that's, that's contrary to what we've been asked to. That's not part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you see that in the fruit of the Spirit, let me know, but it's not part of the fruit of the Spirit. Instead, Peter encourages us to repay evil with blessing. Well, why? Well, because we've inherited a blessing. We've inherited a blessing that we, we don't deserve. And so again, just as they're sinners and whoever has wronged you is a sinner and all those that, that continue to wrong you in your life are sinners, well, guess what? We're, we're all sinners. And we may be saved, but there was a time where we were doing those things to somebody else. And as Christ looked at us and he was willing to, to forgive us of our sins and we are now able to receive a blessing from him, shouldn't we not then be able to, to turn around and forgive others? It's just a perspective on your life. It's not to focus on the world around us, but to, again, have a heavenly perspective on the one who can bless you beyond anything that the world can do. See, instead of just being able to, to try to strive and get a blessing here, I would much rather focus on the one who gives the blessings of all blessings. You know, the Lord may want to bless you here on the earth, and you may have money in the bank and nice cars and things like that. It's wonderful. Praise the Lord. But ultimately, the greatest blessing that we're ever going to receive is heaven. There's nothing that you can ever attain here on the earth. There's nothing that you can ever obtain anywhere around here that would ever, ever compare to what we're gonna receive when we get to heaven. Verse 10, he moves on. He says, for whoever would love, and he's quoting a psalm here, which is just, again, amazing how many, they didn't have Bibles, they didn't have phone apps and stuff like that at the time. I don't know if you knew that. But they, um, they didn't even carry around all the scrolls to be able to open this up. And he's not like looking down. You're like, where's a good psalm that I could quote here? He, just, he knew these. I mean, again, it's just wonderful to be able to look at 
this, this man that is a fisherman didn't know anything of how many quotes of the Old Testament of his scriptures that he's quoting within this letter. For whoever would love life and see good days and keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord against those who do evil. And this psalm was written by David and it's to remind us that the Lord hears and sees everything. He hears your prayers and you're not alone. So again, as you go through times of struggle and you're, you're having a hard time submitting to whatever the authority that has been placed above you, that he hears your prayers. And as we continue to come to him and ask him and cry out to him, to, Lord, just continue to, to help me as I go to work today. Lord, help me as this person's coming into my life today. I'm crying out to you because I know that you hear my prayer. I know that you care for me. I know that you want the very best for me. I want to close with one final verse that I think sums up the last two messages. It's Ephesians 5.21. It says, submit to those, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, as we're going to submit for God, are you able to submit for Christ? Again, as we take in and understand everything that Christ did for us, and that he was willing to go to the cross for us, and that he was willing to die for our sins, could you then turn around and submit to others for him and for his legacy? Father God, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for those that are here. And Lord, some of these topics maybe were difficult this evening. And um, I pray for those that maybe are going to go home tonight to maybe not the perfect environment of household as far as a marriage. And um, Lord, that you would be with that man or that woman that is gonna go home tonight, Lord. That as they even pray on the way home this evening, that God, that you would just continue to work in their hearts and work in their spirit. And I pray for their spouse that maybe is not a believer. That through their witness, that Lord, that you would draw them to you. And I pray for all of us that are in the room this evening, that God, that you would just continue to help us to stay heavenly perspective on the way that we live our lives and the way that we do things. That God, the representation is not for us personally, but Lord, that we are representing you the things that we do, the things that we say, how we react. Lord, we want to live our lives for you. We want to represent you well. And Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.